Good morning, church. I'm Jennifer McClish. Will you turn to John 19 with me? And let's listen as Jesus himself speaks to us through the word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. John 19, 28 through 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, happy Easter. It's great to be with all of you today, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, all that that means for our life. I want to talk about that. I want us to think about that together as we, as we think about these words that Jennifer just read. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, we've been looking at these statements that Jesus made on the cross. There were seven statements that Jesus made as, as he was there on the cross. It's a very powerful thing to think about, what Jesus was saying while he was on the cross. And what's also very powerful about this is, is that it, they're not just arbitrary statements. They, they come, as it were, as a, as a bit of fulfillment of all the ministry and life of Jesus. And, and these statements, these seven statements, teach us so much about him, and, and they also teach us a lot about ourselves. Today, I, I want to look at the statement that Jennifer just read, this, this incredibly profound statement, and, and it means so much. I, I want to look at it with you. What our Lord said, it is finished. He said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. It is finished. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean? What, what is Jesus talking about here? So two things on this Easter Sunday. What did he finish? What is he talking about? What did he finish? And, and how does this finishing, how does his finished work apply to us? What did Jesus finish and how did his finishing work, what does this finishing work mean for us? So first point, what did he finish? What, what is Jesus finishing on the cross? Well, well, a few things. And the first one is that he had completed full obedience to the Father's will. This is really important. Jesus did something that none of us have been able to do. You know, the simple command of God, the greatest command of God is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. And then the second is like it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. I mean, how many, how many of us have done that today? How many of us have loved God rightly to, today? I mean, even now it's Easter, I mean, it's Easter. This just should be the day that you get this one right. And yet our hearts are so far away from the Lord. How many of us love our neighbor as we love ourselves? I mean, if you really think about how much energy and time you spend uh, worrying about your neighbor, hoping for your neighbor, uh, rooting for your neighbor versus how much energy and time you spend thinking, well, I hope things go well for me, thinking about yourself, thinking about your own priorities. You know. Jesus did something. He, he, what he was doing, when he said it was finished, he, he was saying he's completed all righteousness. He, he was doing something that none of us had been able to do. He, he was actually living rightly. He, he, he was saying the, the work, a righteous life has been completed. 
a life that has been totally in tune with the Father, it, it is finished. Righteousness has been achieved. This is really important. You know, in Christendom, we, we often talk about the birth of Jesus and the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. But I think you're right to ask if you've ever asked, well, what about all that other stuff in between? You know, What about all the years in between that we read about? Or those other stories in the gospel? What's that, what's that all about? Well, you're right to ask that. What, what's happening in that is that Jesus is fulfilling all righteousness. He is, he is living out a righteous life. He is, he is living the life that humanity was intended to live, but we just couldn't live. We didn't live because we, we failed in our sin. And, and you know, we see this, you know, we, I could go around this room and say, well, what about you? What about you? What about you? And we would all, of course, fall short of righteousness, of God's glory. We can even go through scripture. I mean, look at Adam, <laughs> The first man in the garden, he was tested. God said, gave him a command. Of course, Jesus, like Adam, also went to a garden. He also had a great test. And he passed the test. He, he obeyed his father's will in the garden. Jesus was like Abraham. God said to Abraham, you, you have to go from your homeland and I'm gonna establish new people from you. Well, you know, Abraham so, so often along the way doubted and he didn't believe God, but Jesus, he left his homeland, he left heaven. He came to this strange place. He endured all the miseries of this life and yet he never doubted, he never questioned his father. He lived out righteousness, don't you see? It is finished. You know, even Moses, the great Moses, the great mediator between the people of God, between the people of Israel and God, but of course, Moses, he, he, he struggled to believe. He, he disobeyed God. Jesus was the great mediator between God and man, yet he never disobeyed. He, he always did what his father wanted him to do. David, the great king of the people, killed Goliath. But Jesus, don't you see, he, he, he is our king that has killed all of our enemies, external and internal. Jesus, Jesus when he says it is finished, he's completing all righteousness, he is saying, I've done what no one else has ever done. I, I have lived a perfectly righteous life. I have lived in, in full obedience to my father. He was the true king. He was the true prophet. He was the true priest. He was the true king that identifies with the outcast, the true prophet that speaks God's truth with compassion and love. He's the true priest that offers a, a greater sacrifice. Yes, that is himself the sacrifice of the whole world. When Jesus said it is finished, he was finishing a job. He was living out righteousness. He was doing something that no one else had done, including you, including everyone in scripture. But when he also said it is finished, he was finishing the necessary sacrifice for sin. Now, this is also really important. He, he was, when he said it's finished, he was saying he's lived all righteousness, but he's also finishing the necessary sacrifice for sin. In the garden, the beginning of time, God told the man, look, he'd, he put him in the garden and he blessed him. He gave him all these kind of blessings. He said, just obey me, obey me. Listen to me, don't eat of this tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of this tree. And if you obey me, you'll live, you'll be blessed. But if you disobey me, if you step outside of God's design, you'll die. And, and, and what we see introduced in scripture right there at the very beginning is this principle that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. We were meant, we were created by God. We were meant to know God and have fellowship with him. But because we have followed in the way of our father, Adam, because we have gone the way of Adam, we have stepped outside of God's design. And the wages of sin is death, both physical death, 
that's a tragedy, but also spiritual death, which is even a greater tragedy. That we wouldn't just be separated from life, physical life, but we would be separated from life. We would be separated from God. That's spiritual death. Be separated from the giver of life to spiritually die, to to be an outcast from God, to be stricken by God, to to endure God's judgment against sin. We read about this in Scripture, this idea of hell. And that's a hard thing to, to take hold of, but I think it's because, I said this Friday, I think it's because our view of God is so small that we view his judgments sometimes as, as so severe. The bigger view of God you have, the bigger view of God you have, when you really start to understand the, the almighty nature, the holy nature, the powerful nature of God, the bigger view of God you have, the bigger view you will have of any offense against him. The, the more severe any sin against him would be. And God is so great and so eternal that, that the right punishment for sin against such a God is great and eternal. You see, you'll never really understand, until you understand who God is and how big God is and glorious God is, you'll never really understand the depths of your sin. And until you understand the depths of your sin against this holy God, you'll never be able to understand how much deeper and how much greater the love that he has displayed to you in the gospel of Jesus Christ really is. That's the power of this whole weekend. Why is the cross so important? Why is the resurrection so important? Because it is this display of God's love for humanity. And when Jesus said it is finished on the cross, what he is doing is he is paying the price of our sin. He is enduring the condemnation that we deserved. He is enduring the wages of sin, which is death. And so if this is true, if Jesus can say, It is finished. If what he said is right, if you believe that, then what that means is in Christ, there no longer remains any payment for sin. There no longer remains any judgment for sin. Hebrews 10 says that Jesus has offered himself as a sacrifice for sins once and for all. That in Christ, all the hells, you could say it this way, of everyone who would ever believe in him, who he would ever save, all the hells, all the the just punishment that we all deserve, all of the hells of everyone who would ever believe was placed on him, and he suffered. What a suffering. What a sacrifice. What a loss. You know, it's hard to understand how all of this, the, the intensity of this moment could be, the justice of God could be poured out in such a compact time and space. But we know that we know that the, the 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 completed work of Christ has been finished. We know that the that the death of Christ has paid for our sin in the very nature of what we celebrate today, the resurrection. That Christ has come back from the dead, that, that he has overcome the death, that 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 his his sacrifice was accepted by the Father, as the song before the throne says. God the just was satisfied to look on him and pardon me. It is finished. It is finished. John Owen calls this the death of death in the death of Christ. The death of death in the death of Christ. In Jesus, we have hope over both physical death and spiritual death. We have hope over physical death 
that if you're in Christ, just as he was raised physically from the dead, we will too, with him, in him, be raised. We have the hope of overcoming physical death. We'll be raised to be with him in his kingdom. But we also have the hope over spiritual death. It is finished. There is no more payment that needs to be made that Christ has completed all payment for our sin, that it is finished. It really is finished. Do you believe that? I mean, that's, do you really believe that? Can you really look to the finished work of Christ for your salvation and know that there's no condemnation that you have to dread before God, that you are accepted and loved, that, that, that your sin before God, that you, you can go before God without shame, that, that, that you can go before God genuinely without shame, that it's all been canceled. Can you, do you really believe that, that it is finished? You don't need to tweak the finished work of Christ. You don't need to try to adjust it. You don't need to try to add to it. You know, I, I'm not much of an artist. I've, I've loved the artwork that we have around the building for the Good Friday service. And, and I love seeing your artwork. And those of you who are painters and artists, you know, the worst thing I could do is to get a paintbrush and say, oh, let me add to this a little bit. No, you'd be like, no, the, the painting is done. <laughs> I have completed this painting. You, you, can't make it, you can't make it any worse or any better. And that, that's, what, that's what our Lord has done is, is, is he has finished all payment for sin that we can't, we can't pay any more or any less for our sin. It is finished in him. He has completed all righteousness. He has made a full and perfect sacrifice for sin. And him saying it is finished also means that now there is no separation between God and man. In Genesis 3, when the man and the woman sinned, they had to leave the garden. They had to go out of the presence of God because God is holy and our, our sin separates us from God. But, but because of Christ, what, what do we see in the New Testament? Because of the power of what Jesus has done, because it is finished, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I think of Romans 8. Where Paul writes, I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels or rulers or anything present, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In his death, Jesus has torn down any barrier that exists between us and God. And so now, in Christ, we can approach God without fear. We can approach God without fearing any sort of condemnation. This is why Jesus can say, come to me, come to me. There's no barrier. If you know me, you know the Father. It's also why when Jesus died, the curtain in the temple that separated the holy place of God where the Holy Spirit of God dwelled was separated from top to bottom. The Spirit of God, in, in a sense, when Jesus laid down his spirit, the Spirit of God has been set free to indwell the hearts of every believer. We have been made clean by the blood of Jesus. It is finished. There's no separation. There's no condemnation. It is finished. It is finished. All obedience, the righteous record that we so need before God has been completed. The atoning death, the sacrifice for our sin has been completed. The, the, the dividing wall, the barrier between us and God has been torn down. It is finished, it is finished, it is finished. And that brings me then to the second point, which is what does this finished work mean for you and me? How is it applied to your life and my life? How do we take hold of this? So I wanna talk about this in two ways. How do you take hold of the finished work of Christ? 
And how does how is the finished work of Christ really applied to your life and to my life like every day? <laughs> so number one, how do you take hold of the finished work of Christ? I want, I want to spend a little time here because I want you to get this. I want you to understand this. What does this mean for you and for me? How do you take hold of the finished work of Christ? How, how do you take hold of this finished work of Christ that brings you into right relationship with God? Well, it's one of the things that we, we talk about often here. It's this idea of salvation, that we could be saved, that we could be brought back into right relationship with God. And if you're a member of our church, every month we have a class called First Sunday. We walk through our confession of faith. And one of the things that we say very plainly and clearly, we try to make this very clear in our confession of faith, but we say this, we believe that salvation... And salvation is this idea of being restored to God. You can be restored to God. The, the finished work of Christ can be applied to you. Salvation is freely given to all who believe in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who believe in the finished work of Jesus, what he has done for us in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. All who believe in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and respond through repentance and faith. So this is the answer. This is how you take hold. How do I take hold of this thing that Christians talk about? This is the answer, repentance and faith. Repentance is a genuine turning away from sin toward God. And faith is believing in the love and grace of Jesus and placing your life and your hopes and your dreams in him. Now, this is really important. And I really want you to get this today. Repentance and saving faith. Repentance and saving faith. Remember the story of the prodigal son? Remember the story of the prodigal son? You heard this story? There's two sons. The younger son asked for his inheritance. And, and in that time, I mean, still today in this time, you know, if, if one of my children comes up to me before they die and say, can I go ahead and have my inheritance now? Okay, now this is ancient Near East, but in our time, that's still offensive. I mean, you're basically saying, dad, you're worth more dead to me than you are alive. And the younger son, he takes his inheritance early and he goes off, in, the, in, uh, this, in this parable that Jesus tells, he goes off and he spends it in reckless living. That's what the Bible says, reckless living. Now, I, I think that we imagine reckless living to mean he went off and partied, right? He went off and drank. He went off and hired prostitutes. He went off and did all these things. But I don't think it's just that. I, I think there was something in the younger son too where he wanted to go and prove himself, right? He had this older brother that always was doing right. He had this dad he probably didn't like that much. And so he went off, like a lot of you guys, and like we go off and we say, I'm gonna go prove myself. And I'm sure he took some of that money and made all these investments. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna make my first million by the time I'm 25. I'm gonna make my second million by the time I'm 26, you know. I'm gonna make 10 by the time I'm 30, you know. I can see him. He was going off, and he was, but he was reckless. He wasn't wise. He wasn't shrewd. He didn't listen to wise counselors because he knew how to do everything. And, and before he knew it, he had blown it all. And, 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 the, and the scripture says in the story that he was serving a bunch of pigs and it said he longed to eat the pods that the pigs ate. And then the Bible says that he came to himself and he comes up with this little speech. He has this great moment of repentance. He says, I'm gonna go to my father and I'm going to say, now hear the language here, it's very important. He says, I have sinned against heaven, against God, and I have sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Would you take me back as one of your hired servants? This is his speech and this is important. He comes up with his speech, he's broken in his sin, and then he goes to his father. This is so important. He goes to, who does he go for help? 
He goes to the very father that he has offended. The very father, the very father that he has slapped in the face, you know, proverbially. He goes to him because he's the only one who can help him. And he goes to his father with nothing. Now, I'll tell you, now I don't, you know, I, I'm making up the bit of the backstory here, but I bet the younger son wanted to one day go back to his father. But he wanted to go back to his father with $10 million, right? And say, look what I've become, dad. Look who I am now, older brother. I've made something of my life. But he couldn't do that because he was so ruined by his own decisions that he had to go back to his dad, the very guy that he had offended, with zero, with nothing. Okay, that is a picture of saving faith. That is saving faith. Can you go to God with nothing? That's what it means to be a Christian. It's not to go to God with your righteousness. It's not to go to God with all these things you've done and your good Sunday school attendance and you know, how much you gave to the church last week or even your worldly achievements, your, your business success or your perfect little family or how great you look on Instagram. It's to go to God with nothing. Like the old song says, nothing in my hand I bring. Only to the cross I cling. Is that the kind of faith you have? That is faith in the completed work of Christ. It's only to the cross I cling. I am so trusting when Jesus says it is finished, that he achieved righteousness for me, that he has died for all my sins, and now because of him, there's no separation between me and God. That's what I cling to. That's saving faith. You know, there's another really interesting juxtaposition in scripture between Peter and Judas. I mean, Peter who of course the Lord used in these amazing ways to build his church. And Judas, the, if you've ever read Dante, I mean, he's at the lowest circle of hell. Judas, the betrayer, the guy that denied his Lord. They both sin. I mean, Judas obviously betrays Jesus. He sells him off for 30 pieces of silver. But Peter, I mean, Peter also sinned. I mean, Peter said, I mean, think about this. Peter said, if all these other guys deny you, Lord, not me, not Peter, I'm gonna be with you. And Jesus said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And before the rooster crowed, the same night, Peter denied him three times. I mean, that's blatant. And the scripture says that the rooster did crow and he heard the rooster crow and he remembered the words of his Lord and he wept bitterly because he had so sinned against his Lord. They both sinned. Now, here's what's interesting about this story. They both were repentant. Peter wept bitterly. We just talked about that. Broken and sin. Judas, you know, when he, when he, the Bible says when he heard that Jesus was delivered to be crucified, he returned the silver. He got away from it. He didn't say, ah, oh, shucks, too bad for Jesus, but look at all this money I have now. He gets away from his sin. I mean, Matthew 27, we read uh, I, that Judas says, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They both sinned. They both repent. They both kind of come to themselves. And look, I, the reason I tell you this is because I, I bet most people in this room, there, there's been a moment in your life where you've said, I know I've messed up. I know I'm not perfect. I know I've got to do something to, to prove myself, to justify myself. I've got to do some righteous deed. And look, if that's where you are, you'll never be able to receive how much God loves you. You'll always, you, you'll, you'll actually end up eventually resenting God because you feel like I have to go to God and it's never enough and it's never enough and it's never enough because you know what? It's never enough. 
because you're actually not righteous and your, your heart is actually broken. And so just like Judas, you know what? You'll, you'll eventually end up in total despair. Judas ultimately killed himself because he realized I could never face Jesus again. What did he lack? What's the difference between Judas and Peter? They both sin, they both repent. The difference is saving faith. They had nothing to bring to Jesus. They had nothing to bring to Jesus. Yet after the resurrection, what do we read? Every time Peter hears that Jesus is somewhere near, you know what he's doing? He's running. He is sprinting. I mean, literally, just go read it. Every time Peter hears Jesus is nearby, he sprints to wherever Jesus is. Judas couldn't face him, which makes sense, right? You ever, you ever sin against somebody? You ever hurt somebody? You ever offend somebody? And the next time you see him, it's like, I don't want to be, okay, you know, where's the closest water fountain? Where, who can I talk to? You know, I don't want to, I don't want to face this person. But you see what, you see what, you see the difference with Peter? He so believed in the mercy and grace that Christ had extended to him by the cross. He believed in the finished work of Jesus, that Jesus had achieved perfect righteousness, that his death had achieved a perfect atonement for his sin, and that there was no separation between him and God. Do you believe that? Now, here's the deal. We believe this and I think this is an important thing to think about on Easter. We believe this in layers. <laughs> we believe this in layers. That's saving faith, repentance and faith. But we take hold of this. We take hold of this good truth in, in, in a sense of layers. And, and the first layer is, is what I will call the objective layer. Objectively, through repentance and faith. So one of the reasons that we can give you so much assurance as Christians, and we say, you're saved, you're right with God. And you're like, well, hey, Okay, what does that mean? Because I, I know that I'm actually, I, I believe these things, but I still sin. I, I believe these things, but, but I'm, I'm still messed up in these sides. I, st I still have all these doubts. And it's the objective layer. What it means to be a Christian is that Christ's righteousness has been applied to your life. First Peter 2, I think I've put this on the iPad here, yeah. First Peter 2, it says he himself bore our sins. Jesus took on our sins in his body on the tree, not his sins. He didn't die for himself. He died for us, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. We might live in his righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. I love to think about it this way. The simple explanation of Christianity, of saving faith, is that my sin has been applied to Jesus and he died in my place on the cross. And his righteousness, Jesus' righteousness, remember he achieved perfect righteousness, that has been applied to me. And so I can live in his righteousness. So through repentance and faith, if you have turned from your sin, if you're trusting in Jesus objectively, and when I say objectively, I mean in the court of God, which is the only court that really matters. According to God's court, according to your record, you are objectively saved. You're objectively a child of God. I mean, listen to how the New Testament talks about your state if you're in Christ. It says you are, uh, you, you have received every spiritual blessing. You are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. You have received an eternal inheritance. So there's the objective layer of our salvation. That's why we can say things like, I know God. We don't have to say, I hope I know God. We say, no, I know God. I am being saved. I am with God objectively. Now, but there's another layer. <laughs> and this is, and this is where we all are. It's the subjective layer. And it is, do you really believe that, right? 
do you really believe that who you are now is a child of God? Do you really believe that you have come into fellowship with God because of the completed work of Christ? Is that the narrative that's controlling your life, right? That's so important. It's the subjective layer. And this is the layer that we wrestle with all the time. Is that the narrative that's controlling your life? Or is it some other narrative, right? Y'all have heard me talk about the Atlanta narrative. How do you know that you're righteous in Atlanta, right? How do you know that you're saved in Atlanta? How do you know that you're justified in Atlanta? Well, you know, you're closing a deal, you're going on a great vacation, or you're remodeling your house, you know? If you can go to a dinner party and say, well, we're in the middle of the remodel. We just got back from, you know, Cabo. Just closed a deal. Really excited about it. We're celebrating tonight. If you want to be found righteous in Atlanta, you got to be doing that stuff, you know? Or buying a doodle. That's the other thing that you can do, you know? And Atlanta will find you righteous. And Elena will say, you're a success. Elena will say, you're awesome. You've made it. You're righteous. You have salvation. You live. Is that the narrative you're living by? Or do you, are you living by the completed work of Christ? My identity, who I am, is that Christ on my behalf has, has lived out righteousness. And he died the death that I should have died. And, and now there's no separation between me and God. And so the, the inheritance that I'm really counting on, the place that I'm really counting on, the hope that I really have, is that I can know God and that I can live with God forever. Is that the narrative that controls you? I, I love the way that Paul says it. I've got the text right here. 2 Corinthians 5. He says, for the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all. I, I died with Jesus, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. I love this. The love of Christ controls us. Does the completed work of Christ and the love that Jesus has extended to you, does that control you subjectively? Now, objectively, I want you to hear this. I don't want you to, objectively, if you, by, by repentance and faith, you're found in Christ, you're saved, you, you are with the Lord. But subjectively, is that, is, is that working itself out in your life? And then the last layer is the actual layer. When you actually really believe these things, <laughs> when you actually come into fellowship with God, when you seek God as his child, what God does, remember when I talked about the records up here. And I said, you know, Christ's righteousness is applied to you. Well, the, the Christian life is this, is that, is that Christ's righteousness is not just applied to you. It's not just we receive the record of Christ's righteousness, but Christ's righteousness becomes true of you. His righteousness is, is worked out in your life. And, and if you don't believe that that could happen, if you're new to faith, you don't believe that it could happen, just, just talk to a guy that's really walked with the Lord. Talk to a guy that's really walked with the Lord for the past 20 years. I mean, there, there, there have been things in my life that I said, there's no way I could, I could come, overcome the desire of these things. There's no way I could ever like, not struggle with this sin. And God has freed me from that. He, Christ's righteousness has worked out in your life. And it's just like adoption. You know, one of the, one of the uh, analogies that the scripture gives of, of who we are in the Lord is adoption. When a child is adopted, legally, objectively, as soon as they're adopted, even though it's like their first day in the family, they, they're only in the family one day, but objectively, they're in the family. 
They're a part of the family. They're, a, they're legally, objectively in the family. But how do they like take on the character of the family? And it's, it's in relationship with the family. As they live in relationship with the family, as they, as they live out their adoption, if you say they, if they, as they work out their adoption, that they take on the character and the values and what is true of the family becomes true of them. And as you look to Christ in faith, as you take hold of his completed work in your life, that he lived righteousness, that he died, he has completed all sacrifice for you. He, he, has, he has justified you completely before God, that, that the dividing wall between you and God has been totally separated. Guess what? The value system of God becomes true of Here's my invitation today. This is my invitation to all of us. Can you come to God with nothing today? Can you come to God with nothing today? Can you come to God with nothing today? With your, with your sin, with your shame. Can you come to God with your shame? Can you get honest with yourself? Say, this is who I really am. This is, this is what... My heart is really like, and this is how I'm coming to God. Because then and only then can you really trust in the completed work of Christ. You'll have to trust in the righteousness of Christ because you don't have any righteousness to show. You'll have to trust in the sacrificial death of Christ because you know if you really get serious with God, if, if God really knows what's going on inside your heart, then, then how, how could you have a place with him? You'll have to believe that he has paid your debt. You'll have to trust that Christ has broken down any separation between you and God, can you come to Jesus with nothing? Peter could. The younger son did. Older son couldn't. Judas couldn't. <laughs> can you come to Jesus? Can you come to God with nothing today? Can you look to him with nothing? Can you take hold of his completed work? It is finished, he says. It's finished. It's finished. So come to me. Come to me. Let's pray. Nothing in my hand I bring, only to the cross I cling. The cross where Jesus said it is finished. Father, I pray today that by the power of your spirit, Lord, you would make hearts come to life. People here, Lord, all of us that are in some sort of superficial way trusting in other things for our life, would you turn our hearts to you now? Could we look up to the cross today and see our Savior saying it is finished? He has achieved all the righteousness we could ever need to come into fellowship with you. He has died the, all the penalty we could have ever paid so that we could come into fellowship with you. He has torn down any sort of dividing barrier that exists between us and you. Would you give us the faith today to look to Jesus? And I do just ask you, as we continue to be in a spirit of prayer, as you continue to pray before the Lord, I just want to make this invitation. Look, some, some, for some of you, this may be new stuff. 
And you may be making sense of what all does this mean, the completed work of Christ. I just, my question to you is, do you believe that Jesus has done enough that you and all your sin could come before God, just as you are, and be totally loved and accepted, adopted into his family as a child? Do you believe that? And if you do, are you willing to turn from your sin? Are you willing to turn from anything else that you may be trusting in and just trust in him? Are you willing to just trust in him to hang your life, your hopes, your dreams on him, on his completed work? There's nothing left for you to do. There's nothing left for you to prove. You can live free and not just Free in a religious sense, if that's what you think I'm talking about. I'm talking about free. I'm talking about you don't have to go impress the folks at the dinner party (laughs) to have a sense of justification. You don't have to have the big story or the big accomplishment. You're complete. Jesus has paid it all. Jesus has done it all. You know God. Can you believe that today? And if you do, if you do, that's, that's all that is required for you to enter into the family of God. Simple faith, repentance, turning from our sin, and faith, believing in the completed work of Jesus. And so whether this is the first time you've ever really seen Jesus and mustered enough faith to, to believe in him, or whether you've walked with him for years. Let's all turn our hearts now to him. Let's find our life in him. Let's rest in his completed work. Father, give us faith to rest in the completed work of Jesus. I pray this 